0: This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers—they're here to help.
1: He has time launches it to the end zone. Touchdown! Terrence Williams. Bro
0: goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He puts. Oh, he's, going, yeah, he's on the one!
1: Red Raider, up the ten. Puts up the right sideline. He's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first FCS champion.
0: Welcome, everyone, to the Republic of Football Sunday Recap Edition. I'm your host, Ishmael Johnson. On the other line, in his hotel room, is Mike Craven after a wild game. We'll talk about that in a minute. Mike, how are you doing?
1: Doing pretty good.
0: Yeah, man. It's Jesus Christ. Uh, We're just going to get right into it. Uh, SMU Houston. uh, What a finish we had. Houston 44, SMU 37. Houston wins it on a almost walk-off kickoff return for a touchdown, 100 yards. I believe it was Marcus Jones, correct? Um, returns it. Back-and-forth game. This was the, obviously the heavyweight game of the weekend. So many things going into it. SMU having a chance at the AC title game, or at least an inside track uh, if they win this game. Houston kind of putting their... Uh, kind of their credentials on the line almost because of the kind of how easy their schedule's been. This is their only really one big test of the year. Mike, what happened? Houston, to me, looks looked like a team that that knew that they had something to prove. Um, their defense wasn't spectacular, but it by far gave SMU its biggest test of the year. Got to Tana Mordecai a couple times. And you mentioned it in your piece uh, uh, from the game, it's time to respect Clayton tune. And, you know, uh, fr- from, you know, what, what did you see uh, in the press box?
1: Let, let's start with the end here. So I, I found this really interesting. SMU has the ball with like a minute left in the game and it's like fourth and two on like the 28 yard line. Right. Mm-hmm. So the choice is 45 yard field goal to tie it. Or do you go for it and try to get closer? Uh, do you try to score a touchdown? Do you try to leave no time on the clock before that field goal to go to overtime? It looked like Sonny Cumbie and SMU were gonna go for it. Mm-hmm. Then Houston calls a timeout. Then SMU kicks a field goal to tie it. So that was kind of the first, the first kind of interesting decision by Sonny Dykes and SMU. Yeah. The next one, as soon as the ball got kicked and it was in the air, I looked at Sam Kahn and was like, Whoa, whoa, you know, like they're like because Marcus Jones is the best kick returner in the state, maybe in the country. Yeah, that, that was his fourth. Special teams touchdown of 2021 and his ninth of his career. I have no idea why they kicked him the ball and uh, he did what he did. It was a tremendous game. Clayton Toon was awesome. I mean, that Houston offensive line is not that great, right? They couldn't run the ball at all. He was running for his life. He created so much kind of off script there for him. Mm -hmm. Career high, 412 yards. He had four touchdowns. Nathaniel Dell may be the biggest superstar in the state. We don't talk about it uh, enough. So, Kind of kind of like what you said, Houston, you know, they lost that first game to Texas Tech, a Texas Tech team that we've now seen are frauds who have fired their head coach and just are not very good. And then the rest of the Houston schedule has been, you know, wins that they should be winning. You know, mm-hmm. they've done it in impressive fashion, but it's hard to take a lot out of wins over Tulane and Tulsa and teams like that. Last night was the first time we saw this Dana Holgerson team tested. They're up 17-0 in the first quarter. SMU storms back. It's not a huge crowd. The Astros were playing last night, and so it wasn't the biggest crowd in there. And so it was kind of deja vu. It was like, okay, Houston's just kind of like the Longhorns, right? Houston's just Mm -hmm. one of those teams that against good teams, they just can't hang on for four quarters. And then they outscore SMU, you know, 14-3 in the fourth, you know, to kind of reestablish dominance there. So I was super impressed um, by that offense. That defense, while it did give up a lot of points and it, it did give up a lot of yards, You know, it sacked Tanner Mordecai four times last night. SMU had allowed two all season coming into the game. So, you know, they played well enough. In modern football, you're not going to hold a good offense down for very long. They did enough. They created a couple turnovers. They got an interception for Mordecai. They came up with some sacks, forced some punts. So, uh, just a really good effort from Houston. And then if you look at the rest of their schedule, they don't play another team with a winning record right now. Memphis Mm at 4-4 is the best team. Team that they have left they don't have to play cincinnati it really you know they're five and oh in conference now and so it really looks like the cougars are on their way to the aac championship if they don't kind of mess one up here you know down the stretch or i guess two up because smu and cincinnati still have to play so uh they're looking really good right now on a seven game win streak and yeah i was just super impressed uh spe- specifically with clayton toon and his ability to kind of create plays out of nothing
0: yeah he He definitely signed. I mean, I'm somebody who questioned what his ceiling was as a quarterback, and I questioned what Houston's ceiling was with him as a quarterback. I was wondering, especially after his first year when, you know, they they redshirt Derek King, and, and he clearly is the guy that Dana Holgerson's betting on. And you're like, all right, you know, Holgerson, you you expect him to have this this star quarterback who's kind of putting up numbers. And the numbers were not really there. And you kind of saw some tools here and there. But for the most part, you know, down to down, he was a pretty solid quarterback, but nothing that you were like, okay, this is a guy that, you know, is going to lead an undefeated or a one loss Houston team. And there were times this year where you kind of saw that. Of course, he's been battling the injury and he's always... He's prone to mistakes every once in a while, but this game was some or the game where they needed him to match Tanner Mordecai in many ways, right? And right away, I mean, that first touchdown to Nathaniel Dell, where it's like an out uh, Nathaniel Dell is running an out route, and he's like it's it's like a little window to the sideline, and he just nails it perfectly. It was like a, like a uh, seven yard, a ten yard strike or whatever, and you're just like, okay, this guy can make some throws. And then of course. He hit Nathaniel Dell deep a couple times, and he has the arm strength to do that. Like, yeah, he clearly is capable of, of big time performances. Uh, I believe his final stat line was 27 to 37, 412 uh, through the year, four touchdowns, sacked only twice. And you mentioned it. He, he, that's not a great offensive line. So that's a lot of him getting rid of the ball. That's a lot of him moving around. Again, not completely healthy with that hamstring, but making things happen. Alton McCaskill was pretty much held in check. Deshaun Henry was pretty much held in check. Like, you know, they could not run the ball at all. I believe they were held to like 70 yards on like 30 carries or something like that. Like it wasn't very, uh, wasn't a balanced attack. Uh, you mentioned Nathaniel Deld. Uh, nine catches on 11 targets for 165, three touchdowns. Yeah, this was – I mean, we'll talk about SMU in a bit, but this is Houston more or less penciling in their AEC title game uh, uh, ticket.
1: Yeah, you got to worry about the letdown, right? Yes. You, know, you, you know, you beat a really good team at home. Now you got to go on the road, I think, next. And so, you know, kind of how does that look? Uh, and then the other just kind of note or alarm for Houston is Al- Alta McCaskill went out in the first quarter with kind mm. of a foot – ankle thing you could kind of see him on the sideline without his helmet trying to do a little bit of like cut drills and stuff to kind of get some feeling in there and he never got back on the field so that that that'll be that'll be one to watch the running game without him just is not the same
0: sure sure and now looking over to smu a little bit you know this was kind of a this is kind of a letdown. and i don't want to mean like they got upset or anything like that i mean houston was a really good team clearly but i think the fashion in which this game went was a bit of a letdown. They got in a shootout and that's kind of how they wanted this to go because it means you're getting the best of this Houston defense. And that means that you're probably forcing Clayton Toon to you. know they are forcing Clayton Toon to match Tanner Mordecai and they still lost. I think in that aspect, you know, they couldn't run the ball very well at all. Um, they, it was, it was, the, it, Houston was that team that jumped on them early. And then when they started to come back in this game, Houston uh, wouldn't go away. And I think that for if you're SMU, it's, it's, a, it's a disappointment in that aspect more where you're just like, geez, we had this team, you know, this team jumped out to a lead. We had them coming. We, we, we answered everything they threw at us, and then they just didn't go away. And then this quarterback answered everything we had. We shut down their running game. Didn't work. We got plays against this defense. Didn't work. You know, I think it's just more of a frustrating uh, kind of loss for SMU.
1: I mean, it really just comes down to one mistake, right? I mean, both teams had 100-yard kickoff returns for touchdowns. Both teams, uh, really good quarterback play. Tanner Mordecai throws an interception. Clay two, Clayton Tune does doesn't, mm-hmm. and you know that's that's kind of the difference in the game. And it's small margins when you're having when two good teams are playing against each other. It's very small margins of victory. You know, one extra mistake from SMU cost them.
0: Yep, basically. And now SMU. I mean, you mentioned it. SMU has a. They have they have a they have a tough schedule still to play. I mean, they have Memphis, who hasn't been Memphis of old, but they have Memphis next week. UCF, of course, number two, Cincinnati, and then Tulsa. Um, it's going to be an interesting end to the season because you know this is this is kind of I mean, it, it, for their loss to come now is pretty tough because now they have the bulk of their uh, tough part of their schedule coming up, and so you know, is this an SMU team that finishes with? two or three losses. I don't know. Um, I'm curious to see how this team bounces back. I think Memphis is a good, a good opponent for them to get after this. Cause again, they're not typical Memphis that, you know, that, that beat SMU a couple of years ago when in, in, in Memphis that kind of had the national spotlight, but there's still a team that'll you can't sleep sleepwalk into and have kind of a, a back-to-back letdown against. Um, and so I do think this loss comes at a frustrating time because you know, they have, they have to have some things go their way and they probably have to upset Cincinnati or he, hope Houston stumbles um, to make the AAC title game. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on on SMU for the rest of the year?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you're Sonny Dykes, you go back in the locker room, you say everything that we want to achieve is still right in front of us. Mm-hmm. You know, we were going to have to beat Cincinnati. You know, we thought maybe twice. Now we just kind of beat Now we got to beat them once. You know, yeah. if they can run the table, they get a rematch with Houston. Um, and can keep Cincinnati out of it since Houston and Cincinnati don't play. So Cincinnati looks beatable, in my opinion, over the last couple of weeks. SMU clearly can put up a lot of points. They're just going to have to figure out the secondary. You know, sure. they, they just have to figure out uh, what to do there. There were some holes exposed um, yesterday that maybe, you know, weren't really tested in previous matchups. Even that t- – thinking back at that TCU-SMU game, there was a lot of wide receivers open. In that game, and Max Duggan and those wide receivers just missed it. Either it was an overthrow or a drop or whatever. And so that just kind of came back to bite bite them. But I think if you're Dykes, you just regroup and you just go, look, you know, we we probably weren't going to go undefeated. That wasn't our goal. Our goal was to win this conference. We can still do that if we go out and win. So uh, we'll see next week kind of how they respond to that. And we talked about it earlier in the week. How much does the Texas Tech coaching job opening impact them? I I thought they played really well, but they did start off slow. And so you just kind of worry, you know, about, and we're going to see this with UTSA next week against UTEP. How much do those rumors start to kind of leak into the locker room? What does that impact? What doesn't that impact? And so it'll be interesting to see kind of going forward, how they're able to to hold it together after their first real piece of adversity. Yeah.
0: All right. Moving on to Waco Baylor 31, Texas 24. Um, I hate to say it. Texas has a formula. It is very clear how you beat this Texas team. You wait for the second half, and they're gonna run out of gas, and that's exactly what happened. I do want. To, I'll st- oh, we'll stick with Baylor for now. We'll get to Texas in a bit. Baylor is just steady. Baylor is a steady, steady machine. Even when Gary Bahannon makes mistakes, it is still head down. Keep this machine rolling. Run the ball. Gary Bahannon's gonna make. He has short-term memory loss. He's gonna forget about those mistakes. He threw two interceptions after throwing uh, one the whole year, and. They just come in and continue to hammer the ball. I mean, he finishes 18-31, 222 2, uh, through the air, no touchdowns, two picks. But again, didn't matter. They just kept that thing moving. Treston Ebner and Abram Smith had uh, 100 yards combined uh, on about 30-ish carries, maybe just under 30 carries. And yeah, the defense, they just let the defense kind of hang around and then wait for this Texas team to wear down. And they just kept chugging every single drive and it was that was an impressive win because they for the i mean in this first half they were absolutely getting matched and beaten and you're like all right is this going to be a a, the game where you know texas hits its ceiling on offense and you know baylor makes the couple mistakes that uh, they haven't been making and it looked like that and then the second half just absolutely flipped (laughs)
1: Yeah, you know how colleges pay like consulting firms yeah. to like find them a college coach and then they waste <laughs> millions of dollars people just need to ask Baylor right like <laughs> Baylor Baylor can hire some football coaches like and this team plays it exactly like Dave Aranda is mm-hmm. there's just there's just like a quiet confidence uh they're never really rattled they're never too up they're never too down they just kind of keep going and going like I work at the ranch with my grandfather all the time. He's like 80 years old and he just slow and steadies his, himself through like 12 hours of work and gets way more done than any of the rest of us do. Right. Like that's, that's Baylor, you know, like they never, it never look like they panic. there, you mm-hmm. know, Bohannon throws an early interception that's kind of out of character. Texas goes down and scores. It, it just kind of, it looks like, okay, we're in for a real game here. And Baylor just slowly chips away and chips away and just kind of keeps going at it. That run game is dynamite. That offensive line. I, I don't know if we can really talk about how much of a transformation that's been bet- since last year's offensive line and, and this year's offensive line. I mean, it's, it's just night and day. Yep. So Jeff Grimes, Eric Mateos deserve a lot of credit, but I think that goes back to Aranda to have the humility after your first year as a head coach, to go, what I thought was going to work isn't going to work. I'm going to go change what I'm doing offensively and just ask new guys to come in here and do it. I think it was that was a really big kind of like egoless move on his part. And this football team plays egoless. You know, mm-hmm. they they don't have the stars maybe that Oklahoma does, that Texas does, um, but they just play really good complementary football on both sides of the ball. They do all of the small things correctly. And then that defense is just everywhere. You know, like that front, that front group is nasty. Those linebackers flow, the secondary will hit you. And so, yeah, I mean, I've been kind of, I've been on this Baylor train for a while now. I mean, they still, you know, that OU game in a couple of weeks is going to be a really good one there in Waco. And Mm -hmm. um, it seems just really good. And I I couldn't be more impressed with with Dave Aranda and what he's done in just just a short time there at Baylor. And it, it speaks to the administration, and what they got going on in Waco that they're able to, you know, the art brow stuff, it falls apart. It's embarrassing. It's awful. Where's Baylor going to go from there. Right. They get in that rule. He kind of gets it going in the right direction that he dashes off to, to the NFL. Cause he doesn't want to re- recruit. And it's like, <laughs> okay, where are they going to go from there? And then Dave Aranda gets in a year two and it's like, man, they just keep doing this. They just keep rebuilding it and rebuilding it. And I know we're going to talk about Texas in a second, but when you look at those two group programs next to each other, yeah, It's just amazing how right Baylor has gotten everything and how wrong Texas has gotten everything.
0: Yeah, that's fair. And like, you know, you mentioned how there's, you know, there's no stars, but like in the sense that you mentioned that there's no, like, you know, there's no RG3, right? That's kind of the, but they do like Tyquan Thornton, absolute playmaker, right? Uh, Abram Smith, Tristan Ebner, absolute playmakers. I'm thinking of the Abram Smith run that kind of put them up. Uh, kind of cemented the game where he just made DeMarion Overshone just like bite dust like he stopped on a dime in the backfield spun DeMarion Overshone, had him wrapped up absolutely whiffed and he just storms off and you're just like it wasn't like Smith and Ab- uh, Ebner were having great games they were fine but like they weren't dominating the run game like they have been all year and but they still pulled that he could still pull that stuff out so yeah no this this is a uh, this is a, a, a credit to roster construction, to coaching uh, uh, staff development. Just absolute uh, impressive move from Baylor, and I can't wait to see that Oklahoma game because the way they play is absolutely uh, uh, Oklahoma's kryptonite this year. I really okay. think so. Um, and especially if, again, Gary Bahannon, who's not prone to make mistakes, if he doesn't make mistakes against the Oklahoma defense, that has not been great. We could be talking about you know uh, them pulling an upset, and probably we'll see how bedlam goes. But probably getting a rematch against Oklahoma too. Um, by by the looks of it, win or lose against Oklahoma, they're probably going to get a rematch, uh, depending in the Big title game.
1: So uh, a football fetish I have is linebacker play. Like okay, I, yeah. I I'm a sucker for linebacker play. Yeah. And Baylor's linebacker Dylan Doyle, Terrell Bernard, mm-hmm. Jalen Petrie. If we can include him as a yeah. linebacker those dudes are just studs and you know, linebacker is <laughs> just kind of a lost art where, you know, you watch Texas as linebackers. We just talked about overshowing whiffing on that tackle. Luke Brockemeyer is about as fast as I am. And so like. <laughs> hey, they, he had a
0: pick in this game, sir.
1: <laughs> sorry, my, my, my bad. I, so, but just watching how sound fundamentally they are, that's coaching. Yeah. You know, and, and some of that still Matt Rule, right? Mm-hmm. Some of those guys were stuck. You know, they've just, you can tell those guys have been coached up really, really well. And they're, they're not winning football games because of talent. They don't have Bijan Robinson. Sure. Right? They don't have an Xavier Worthy. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't even have a B.J. Foster. Right. right. But they're winning football games and they're beating teams with better talent because they are better prepared and they do what they do. What They know who they are. And mm-hmm. in football, you need to know who you are. Texas is still a team that has no identity. They have no idea who they are. They know who they want to be, but they're not there yet. Baylor knows who they are. They are who they are. And they stick with that for sixty minutes, and you win a lot of football games with that. Yep.
0: Switching over to Texas, um, you mentioned it after the Red, after Red River, where it's clear that Sark is. I don't. I I still don't know if Sark's the guy, but you see why they hired Sark. You see why he's one of the best play callers, and I see. And it's been the case since that game, and kind of how their second halves have gone recently. You see the plan A. And the plan A is pretty damn good, right? The plan A is get RPOs, get these wide receivers in space, get uh, your playmakers the ball the best ways possible, and they're going to make you plays. And when plan A works, this thing looks like a well-oiled machine. The problem is, obviously, endurance for the second half, other teams making adjustments, and they're not good enough to have that plan B counter yet. And that's kind of what's happened. I mean, First half looks great. Xavier Worthy is still that dude. I still think he's going to be one of the, the linchpins of this offense going forward uh, for the next couple of years, but you kind of see a little bit of the limits of Casey Thompson. It's not his fault, right? The offensive line is not great, but you see the, some of the limits of him as a quarterback. Um, he made some mistakes in this game. He took some bad sacks in this game as well. Bijan John Robinson, of course, when he's kind of your, you're the only guy that, uh, the only Xavier Worthy I mentioned but if in terms of just some getting some guy the ball and doing it on his own he's kind of there obviously they're their star too he's kind of held in check by a really good defense and you kind of sputter in the second half and that's been this for the past couple weeks so I understand frustrations from fans because obviously you want you want things to work and you want things to happen this quickly it's clear that this team isn't what it flashed early on in terms what well, against Louisiana uh, Louisiana is obviously proven to be a lot better than that um but yeah I mean this is just a team that's not ready yet
1: yeah to me these last three games are as much of an indictment on Tom Herman and his staff as they are on the on the current staff because so, if you look at the problem I mean their their offensive line their defensive line and their depth well, you, mm-hmm. you can't solve that in eight months. That takes, yeah. that takes recruiting classes to solve. And, and with the new early signing period, by the time Sark was hired, everyone signed to a school. You can't go mm-hmm. and recruit guys. Like the Brock and Myers were already gone, right? Like you can't, right. you can't go do that stuff. And so that offensive line's atrocious. I mean, yeah. they're, just, they're just really, really bad. And so um, it's hard for me to, to judge Casey Thompson, and it's hard for me to, to judge Steve Sarkeesian when you simply just can't block when you have the best running back in college football
0: mm-hmm. and
1: he averages what 2.5 yards of carry. I mean, they gave him the ball 17 times. It's not like they just were like, no, we're not going to run the football. We can't do it. I mean, they right. gave him the ball 17 times and even he couldn't figure out a way to pop a big one. I mean, his long run was nine yards, yeah, nine, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that, that means that our offensive line is really bad. And then the wearing out in the second half, that's just not having the amount of players you're just, you're just not able to rotate in a way that Texas, when Texas was really good, they had it too deep everywhere. Oh, yeah. Right? There was times when you had future Thor- Thorpe Award winners backing up, got, you know, like Rod Baber's backups were like Michael Huff, right? Right. Stuff like that. It, it, they're just a long way removed from that. And so, um, they're just not there yet. A couple more recruiting classes or at least one more recruiting class, I think. Next year is when you start to really kind of judge this thing. And they're going to have to hit the transfer, transfer portal really hard along the offensive line because until they get that fixed, they're just an average football team. That's all that they're going to be until their offensive line is better as an, as an average football team. They got to get you know a linebacker transfer. They need a defensive end or two transfer. And they need three or four offensive line transfers for this thing to turn around quickly.
0: Sure. I, I, I tweeted this this morning because I, I saw a lot of the, I stayed off most of the most of the day and most of this game specifically. I stayed off Twitter a little bit, but I was going back and looking at some of the discourse. When was the last time you saw a fan base so quick to bench a quarterback whose fault it's not? <laughs> I'm yeah. looking back like looking. Here's the here's here's the numbers for Casey Thompson. Right. In the past couple of games. And this is this is a fan base that's wanted to bench him just like we're done right we we bring back Hudson card bring back 22 of uh, 12 of 22 for 142 against TCU right 20 of 34 for 388 five touchdowns against Oklahoma 15 of 27 179 one touchdown two picks against Oklahoma State 23 of 38 280 uh two touchdowns one interception against Baylor they want that bet they're just like we're done like it's I think it's just frustrating. I get it, right? You see Steve Sarkisian what he did last year with Mac Jones. You see what he's doing, what he what he's he's supposed to bring in, right? And you see the recruiting uh, uh, work that. To, uh, Herman did to bring in a guy like a Hudson card. And, and, you know, before he transferred to Quinn G- and Jackson. So you have like this loaded quarterback room and this idea of somebody taking over for you, you come off of uh, the years of Sam Ellinger and you're used to having that dude at quarterback and you realize that Casey Thompson's not that guy. Right. But I, I do not get the fascination with wanting to bench this guy. Who's again, offensive lines, not great you don't want to throw out a Hudson card to die against, you know, against a Baylor who's going to eat his lunch and whether or not it's a sin, I I don't think, I don't, obviously Steve Sarkeesian doesn't think this cynically, but like, to me, you want this guy, Casey Thompson, who can move a little bit, who's not necessarily quote unquote the future to go against his Baylor offensive defensive line and he get hit as opposed to Hudson Card right you want to save Hudson card a little bit to wherever he's going to survive the spring and not have his confidence crushed and hear ghosts because you know uh, Terrell Bernard he hears Terrell Bernard in his sleep so like I don't know I there's so many and I get it right it's a it's a quote-unquote lost season they're not going to compete for a big 12 title but coaches don't think like this to where like oh we lost to Baylor time to start Hudson card the rest of the way or whatever right like it's not his, it's not Casey Thompson's fault No, in two years, Casey Thompson is not going to be here, but that doesn't matter because they're trying to play right now. He's the best option right now. And that's okay, right? If you know that Casey Thompson is not going to be the future, if you know that it's Hudson Card, it's okay to say, yeah, it's it's fine to bench him for this year. It's okay. He'll be here next year. We'll run this back in spring and see what
1: happens. Yeah, I I think... I want to not be cynical. There are a couple of factors I think that are leading to this, that maybe we shouldn't discuss on, on the podcast. But (laughs) I, I think, I I think a lot of it has to do with like the fans, they always want upside and they want to look to next year. Right. Like, in 2022, they feel that Hudson Card, behind a more improved offensive line with Bijan Robinson still there, Xavier Worthy, hopefully Whittington back, that kind of stuff, this offense can be really good. Why not put Hudson in there now and get him more and more experience to where next year he kind of has an easier jump off point? I hope that's why most of that clamor is going on. But I'm with you. You can also ruin a young quarterback with a crappy offensive line, and you don't want that either. And so. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen what Hudson card can do behind this offensive line. And it's not any better than what Casey Thompson is doing behind this offensive line. So quarterback is the least of my concerns. If I'm a Longhorn fan, it's blocking people and tackling people that I'd be concerned about And Hudson and Charles or Hudson and Casey can't do either one of those things.
0: I mean, I'll just throw one name out there. Garrett Gilbert, right? I mean, he was highly touted quarterback coming in. Obviously he did not work out at Texas, but this is a guy who went to SMU who played is it was played in the NFL and you saw what happened when he played behind a terrible offensive line with a lot of expectation, right? He clearly wasn't. And there are clearly issues with his game. He probably wasn't as highly touted or probably wasn't the five-star peak pinnacle of quarterback play that we thought he was, but he goes to SMU and he puts up numbers and he's clearly good enough to make the NFL, to make NFL rosters. So like you saw what happened when his confidence is shot early as a freshman and he comes in and plays behind a bad offensive line you don't want that to happen to your to your guy that is the future so um yeah, yeah. David Ash yes David Ash like 100 like injury whatever yeah it, it so again you don't want that to happen I get why people want that I like I, I can see the upside argument too but Casey Thompson is is mature enough to operate behind this bad offensive line as we've seen this year. So, um, yeah, uh, I mean, the season's lost for Texas now in terms of a competitive conference championship. So this discussion's not going to go in a way away anytime soon. Um, they're always going to be leveraging for the future and trying to uh, spark that discussion. So that'll just be something
1: we have to keep an have eye. Not, have you not heard? Have you not heard that Arch Manning is the future? He's oh the... god,
0: yeah. See. We'll have a discussion when it comes to signing day about how uh, I think the first big whiff of the Steve Sarkeesian era was punting on this era, uh, this year's quarterbacks for Malik Murphy, who I don't think is better than any of the guys that are in Texas um, because he looked probably better early on. And now he's clearly not better than a Cade Klebnik, Connor Wigman, or uh, obviously Quinn Ewers went off to Ohio state now, but um now we're going to have another discussion over what how going all in on Arch Manning, he's probably just going to sign to Bama tomorrow, like <laughs> is, is going to be the next whiff. But that's a no, totally another discussion that I'm kind of looking forward to now. Uh, now let's get on to the power poll. Uh, we had uh, the Sicko Bowl yesterday, North Texas, uh, 30-24 over Rice in overtime. Um, yeah, we were talking about after the uh, before we started recording, you mentioned in your piece that you're that's hopefully going to go up by the time this show comes out. No one asked for more of this game, and we got <laughs> we got more of this game. Uh, UNT, let's stick with them. They won. Uh, we'll talk about rice in a bit. Hey, look, they won. Look at that. Uh, it wasn't pretty. Asanani through was 50% completion, 121 through the air. Uh, I don't know I watched this game and I was not (laughs) having a good time
1: (laughs) yeah I mean you look at the box score right and the winning team's leading quarterback had 121 yards passing with no touchdowns right the leading rusher is also that same quarterback with 65 yards the leading receiver has three catches for 50 yards right I mean there's just just nothing Right, I mean, this is it's like watching 1988 Tecmo football, like stuff, you know, like absolutely, absolutely nothing. And then of course it goes into overtime, you know, like of course, of course the game like that goes into overtime. I mean, I guess good for North Texas, right? Right. I mean, it's better than losing. It's better than losing to Rice, sure. Because you lose to Rice, and the conversation today is about like you know when is Seth Luttrell packing his stuff up. So I mean, I guess maybe he buys himself a retrieve there, but. I, I just I don't know. I, I don't know. Like North Texas should be so much better than this. Like that that's yeah. the, every time I watch North Texas, I just think to myself, like, how are they not? How are they not better? Mm-hmm. Like you watched Rice, and Rice matched up athletically with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, Rice 100%. probably had the best wide receiver in the game, like their quarterback was better. Um, so yeah. Uh, just a bad game. Just a bad game all around. It's not a not an enjoyable viewing experience. That is for sure.
0: You know, you know it's not, you know, it's a uh, a bad game when like even like the UNT media writers and like their student reporters are just like, why is this going to overtime? <laughs> like you're just like, it's like, come on, man, please. <laughs> like, can we just end this game no matter what? I will say, I think uh, UNT benefit a little bit from a mistake. I'm trying to think they i was trying to think if this was a regulation or did they end up scoring i can't remember yeah rice ended up scoring so they spiked the ball right it was it rice almost lost this game in regulation um they spiked the ball with two timeouts at the 10 yard line with like 10 set like i was like what is like what's going on i was trying to figure out what was what was happening and i was like, you have two timeouts or they had one timeout or something and they almost they almost uh I don't know. They almost gave the way game away. I was really frustrated. I was like, if this is the way this game ends, that's probably deserving to, I don't know, but uh, it ended up scoring. So I ended up being fine. But um, I think Austin had the, the game winning score for um, for UNT in overtime. Um, yeah. I don't know. That was, it was just not great. Um, but like I said, we were talking about what if they lose this game, right? You're falling behind rice at that point in the pecking order, and now it's a lifeline, and you know, as ugly as this game was, I think we can put the quote unquote, the Q word to, to bed, right? This is the team that it's an ugly game, right? You, you you to win ugly games, you have to put a lot of effort in, you have to fight, you have to continue to grind it out. And it's easy when you have Rice scoring on uh, uh, converting 36 yard passes on fourth and 10 <laughs> to just like throw your hands up and be like, ah, oh, we're done, right? Our coach isn't going to be here next year, whatever, we're done. UNT didn't do that. So I think we put the Q word to bed. They are still playing for Seth the Trail. They're still clearly trying to grind out something from this season. Um, I think it's a softer, uh, again, we have UTSA coming up. UTEP, obviously, we'll see what happens. But they have Southern Miss, FIU, coming up. We'll see what happens, right? This is if this is just a little bit, a little bit of a moment, a positive momentum swing, a little tick in the box. That's something swinging into, quote unquote, the softer part of your schedule. So,
1: we'll see what happens. Yeah, there's a, there was a there a writer from uh, Underdog Dynasty, I think. Mm-hmm. And he showed up to the, to the Houston game. He was like right at kickoff. And he, and he was like, ah, I covered the Rice-North Texas game. And you would have thought he got mugged, right? Like he looked like <laughs> disheveled. Like he looked like he had gone through war, you know? Like some of it was he was running late. He had hurried up to the press box. But the rest of it was that he had watched an overtime game between North Texas and Rice. And his brain was just beaten to a pulp. I felt oh. so bad. For him. But on the Rice side, they just can't keep a quarterback healthy. Yeah, you know, like every yeah. time, every time you look at a Rice box score, they got a different quarterback leading the way, and that can't be the plan, you know. So, right, um, yeah, they just can't really stay healthy over there, and it always baffles me how really smart football coaches can be really bad with time management, you know, like clock management down the stretch is like a plague in football, you know. It's, and it's so, weird
0: because it's like it's like you look at the NFL, it's like Andy Reid,
1: right? Like, they're like, how they're are you guys. just
0: like why? Right. You know, you watch the Cowboys, it's like Mike McCarthy. It's like how's there should be a guy whether it's a your, your director player personnel or something it's just like hey you time <laughs> just time things i don't know just figure out timeouts figure out whatever uh clock management i need somebody because there are some coaches who are really good with that right um and so but if, if you know you're bad at that have somebody in charge, your get back man, right? Whatever you have on the sidelines, somebody just like, how many timeouts do we got? What situation? Should I burn this? Should I not blah, blah, blah. I don't know because time is such a critical part. I don't know why coaches don't, I mean, they probably do. Right. We're just, you know, but I don't know why it's not a bigger thing for some coaches to get that right. Some coaches overthink that. Right. Um, But there are some coaches who just like, I, I swear, and it was kind of that moment with, with Rice where they're spiking the ball. And I'm like, well, they just lapse. And it's like, oh, we have two timeouts. I just didn't know. You know, it's just, I don't
1: know. It's just really. I think it's information overload.
0: Probably, yeah. You're yeah, trying to figure is. out what the it next is. play you're going to call, what the next yeah. situation is, what overtime is going to look like. So
1: There's just so much going on, you know, at one time that, yeah, you need somebody specifically there to manage the clock because there's just so much else going on. On in those late, you know, and there's nerves and there's anxiety. You know, coaches aren't immune to feeling any of that kind of stuff late in a game, and so yeah, it's just something that's always amused me is like how maniacal these coaches are and how much they control every single second of every single thing except for the clock (laughs) that is counting down. You know, it's just like, come on, yeah,
0: yep. Uh, All righty, moving on the power pole. uh, Probably the soon-to-be last place team in the power pole, Texas State. 45-0 45, nothing over Louisiana. I have nothing else to say, um, about this team. Tyler Vitt started. I know Brady McBride was hurt. Uh, so they started Tyler Vitt. I mean, six of 13, 42 yards. I don't know. Uh, he ran for about uh, almost a hundred yards. Ran the ball uh, well. Yeah. Yeah. They ran the ball well, that's fine. But you know, they needed to pass the ball cause they, <laughs> cause, uh, this game got out of hand quick. So, uh, yeah, that didn't go great. Um, I don't know. I, I really don't know what to say about this team anymore. We'll talk. Uh, I mean, we'll probably have a big conversation
1: about this team at the end of the year. But
0: just uh, it's gone. It's spiraled. You know, this this team has spiraled. The season spiraled.
1: They only had one receiver catch more than one pass, and he had two catches for four yards. Yeah. Yeah. Their, lead, their, lead, their leading receiver had one catch for 17 yards. <sighs> Yeah, that's that's with you being down, you know, by like that's uh, you uh,
0: needing maybe. to throw the ball and move the ball. And...
1: Yeah, I uh, I have a feeling that we get at least a 33 percent turnover at head coach in the 12 FBS schools. Like I think at least four uh, programs are going to have new coaches next year, either because they got rid of their coach or because their coach left for a different job. Mm-hmm. And I think Texas State is one of those at least four that have a new coach next year.
0: Yeah. I think that one of the when it comes to games like this, I love to look at um, the advanced stats and just see how this game on un- cuz like th- this is one of those games where like you look at the score and you can see the advanced stats and be like, oh, this is what happened. I mentioned I've mentioned stop rate right before. The you know, the draw basically the drives that the defense just like absolutely shuts you down and you don't get anywhere near. You get all- you get off the field basically. Louisiana had a 78% stop rate against Texas State. That's literally FCS versus FBS game uh, caliber. Uh, One of the other ones, stats that I like to uh, look at is EPA. Estimated points added. Basically, the success of each play, more or less. Like, the success and probability of each play scoring. Texas State had a negative 31 total EPA in this game. Louisiana had a 14. (laughs) so anytime you're quite literally the ne- negatives are bad negative double digits are bad negative double digits are bad in epa negative 30 is next level bad so yeah that's basically that's a
1: 45 point that's a 45 point difference in those epa's right there and it was 45 to nothing so that's that's pretty, that's pretty cool exactly uh, no it's it was zero it was zero zero after the first quarter
0: it was. It wasn't. Again, like so. When they when Tyler Vitt came in, you kind of realized what what the benefits of him of him at quarterback is. He's able to do designed runs. Um, he's he's very deliberate with his throws. He, he's not as I don't know. Brady McBride has the 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 improv factor, but McBr- uh, Vitt is very much deliberate, like stronger arm. Um, but it didn't matter. Like nothing else, they couldn't run the ball outside of Tyler Vitt the offensive line couldn't pass pro and they turned, they fumbled. Like, I mean, they had, I'm trying to think they had uh, three turnovers, two fumbles lost. Like it's just, yeah. I don't know. Miserable day. Miserable day. Um, Speaking of miserable days, moving on to the power pole, Texas tech 52, 21 to Oklahoma. Uh, it was seven, seven at one point. Eric has had a great, had a great touchdown grab. Uh, after that point, I was like, at that point, I was like, "Oh, okay, what's well, kind of happening here?" It was about to be end of the first quarter, um, and then Caleb Williams <laughs> hits a strike to, to Marvin Mims down the sideline, and he's like, "All right, yeah, I'm gone," and <laughs> that game is done. Um, yeah, Tech is bad. Um, they're just that's just a bad football team, and I get it. They ran into an Oklahoma who is feeling itself a little bit now, but. I don't know. I kind of expect a little bit more from a team that you thought was probably playing for the guys that are still on that staff.
1: That's probably the most disappointing part is there just didn't seem to be much like heart or enthusiasm there, you know, definitely, especially once they, once Oklahoma started to pull away a little bit, right. You could tell everybody involved, even Lincoln Riley, I feel like kind of took some off the gas a little bit like that, but Yeah, I mean, Caleb Williams had 23 completions for 402 yards and six touchdowns. That's efficiency. And and a lot of it is just he had all the time in the world. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's just no pass rush for Texas Tech. They don't know how to get off blocks at all. It's impossible to cover guys like Mario Williams uh, for five, six seconds. You have that much time against any secondary, they're going to get open. So, uh, yeah, just a a bad loss for Texas Tech. One you wish they weren't going to win that football game, but you Mm -hmm. hope, hope they played an inspired football game. And it just, they just really didn't, they just looked lackluster. They looked like they knew that this season is kind of over and a wash. And, you know, they're only one win away from bowl eligibility. I don't know if they would accept a bowl at just six wins, you know, maybe with sometimes when you get a new coach coming in, they just kind of skip the bowl game or whatever, but mm-hmm. you'd think that there's still, there's still something out there to play for. Sure. Right. Yeah. And they just didn't look like they were playing for anything, not even themselves, not even for that coaching staff. And that, that's gotta be, uh, disappointing and uh, for Texas Tech.
0: Yeah, because I mean, this is an Oklahoma team that could be got right, at least defensively. Um, they're going to put up points and you kind of, you kind of wonder, and I know that Donovan Smith came, uh, came in, Henry Columbia was battling an injury heading into the game. I know. And they finally just kind of pulled the cord. And so they they weren't going to have Donovan Smith throw a ton. Um, so you couldn't really match that. But I was a little bit disappointed in I don't know. I was a little disappointed in the play calling too. I kind of expected Sonny Cumbia to maybe, maybe it's just the situation didn't arise, but I was kind of hoping to see them air it out a little bit more, especially when you have a guy like Eric Azukama who absolutely is a, is a star. And so like, you know, you have Kaylin Geiger, you have these weapons and I don't know if we'll see what happens going down the line. Um, if Donovan Smith is the guy going forward, if they just kind of let Henry Columbia rest a little bit, cause he's been taking a, taking a beating too. Um, I wouldn't be, I really wouldn't be opposed to that either. You might as well see what you have because he's a good backup quarterback, but Henry Columbia kind of is what he is. So.
1: Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Baylor. That's uh, a, Donovan
0: Smith, welcome to college football. <laughs>
1: it's a humbling, humbling way to end this season. And it's just, it's hard to, under, it's hard to know how you inject life into that program right now. Like I know how you do it in the off season. Sure. But like right now, how do you get these guys up for the next three games? Um, you would hope, it's just kind of like personal pride. Um, and so they're just going to have to dig deep a little bit and just kind of man up here and try to just get through these three games as respectfully as possible. Because if not, I mean, they're going to get embarrassed down the stretch and that, that's going to make it even harder for the new coach, whoever that is, to come in and kind of a step. Because right now what you want to do, and I know Cumbie can't say this, but what, what you need to think of as a player is you're auditioning for that next coach. Like mm-hmm. whoever it is, if it, it's Cumbie or anybody else, they're going to watch the tape of these last six games and kind of figure out who their guys are and who their guys are not. And so uh, you need to be playing for yourself as much as for the team. And there just wasn't a ton of that yesterday.
0: Yep. Moving on to the power pole, we mentioned Rice lost to UNT in overtime. Uh, right. So the funny thing about this game is like Rice more or less outplayed North Texas in like so many aspects of the game and somehow still lost. Uh I mean, Constantine played better than Ani. They ran the ball. I mean, they, nobody ran the ball great, but they they stuck with the run at least more. Um, I'm looking at the total EPA. Uh, Rice had a 11.5 EPA, offensive EPA and North Texas had a six. <laughs> and like just every single down-to-down play was just better for Rice. And they unfortunately lost. It was one of those weird situations where North Texas just kind of like, squirted out a random play and like had, it ended up being a touchdown or something rice i know missed a. they tried a, a long field goal i think in the middle of the fourth quarter and it missed and so like i don't know a lot of weird things like that and just kind of a disappointing performance for rice when you thought you know this was a game where you're like man we could find we could as bad as this season's gone or is this uh just kind of backwards of this season is gone you could really like at least for the pecking order in this conference the state could have stepped one little one little uh notch forward and separated yourself and now it's you know you're kind of back to where you kind of thought you probably were
1: before i mean they had a chance to get to 500 you know they're yeah. four and four if they, if they win yesterday and that's still with games against you know louisiana tech which is winnable and uh, Charlotte, who hasn't been that great, you know. So I mean, they had they had some chances to stay excited, you know, about the rest of their season. It just felt like they took a step back yesterday. And for me, I mean, one, their defense has taken a step backwards 100%. since last year, and and you know, that's that's concerning because that's that's something that you should be able to control with less talent, right? Mm-hmm. You're never going to get the stars to rise, but you should be able to field a a, a sound defense. Um, And then like we mentioned earlier, they just can't keep any consistency at quarterback and they've had guys come in and play well, but even you just, you need some kind of continuity there and they just have had a revolving door at quarterback because of injuries or, you know, a bad performance here and there. They just got to figure out how to stay healthy and get that going. And then they they're going to have to establish a running game At, at some point when rice has been good, you know, they've never really been that great, but when rice has been good, It's been because they can run the football. They got some talented running backs in there and a decent offensive line right now. They just don't have that.
0: And the frustrating thing is that, you know, Jake Constantine probably looked like their best option at quarterback and he's gone after next year, right? Like he's probably getting, so they're starting over from, you know, we'll see if he chooses to come back. I don't know if he uses his extra year of eligibility already, already or not, but he's probably gone. And so like you're back to square one again, and this was, the same thing we've had the past couple of years with i think uh, collins last year where it looked like collins was the guy and then he leaves and so like it's just been a revolving door and so you wonder when this next this young uh, young option you know like luke mccaffrey i don't know maybe somebody you bet on it comes in and is the guy um because it, it's frustrating for them to finally get some play out of that position and then be like well he's gone at the end of the year so there goes that so
1: and it, it'll be interesting to see if recruiting picks up with them going to the American, or if Rice sure. is just so specifically individualistic that like it doesn't matter. You could put them in the SEC, and they're still going to recruit what mm. they're recruiting. Kind of like Vanderbilt, right? You know, like yeah. Vanderbilt doesn't get a bump for that. Like so, it'll be interesting to see if the caliber of player uh, improves at all as they move up in conference, or if it just stays kind of the same. Because if it doesn't, you know, t- life is only going to get tougher mm-hmm. in the American. Right. And so they're going to need they got they have they have some talent gaps they need to fill by the time that happens. Right.
0: All right. Moving on. Jeez, uh, didn't get more, didn't get much more optimistic. Uh, TCU, Kansas State, 31, TCU, 12 in Manhattan. Jeez, um, this is a awful loss. This is a. So I'm trying to think Max Duggan gets benched, mercy benched. I don't know. Um, he's been dealing with kind of a, an injury, so maybe it was just a you know. I think they were down twenty-one to five. They were just like, we're not really, nothing's really happening here. We'll see what Chandler Morris can do. Um, nothing really changes that much. This thing isn't working. Whatever it is this year, <laughs> just it clearly is not working for TCU because this is a game they should have won. Like this isn't this isn't a game you lose. Like you don't. Again, we, we mentioned Kansas State's a good, well, coached team. They're, they're uh, kind of, uh, they're, they are, but they aren't your, your grandfather's Kansas State team, your dad's K-State team, but they can punch you in the mouth, and they can make things ugly, and they can win these games. And TCU has too much talent to be able to let this kind of game go this way. And uh, I believe Parker from Stats of War tweeted out, TCU's lost 13 of their last 31 conference games. And at that point, you're just losing. You're losing to these caliber of teams, which is what TCU didn't do. Again, when with Gary under Gary Patterson for the longest time, and yeah, there it's it's I don't know. It's a bad bad time right now in Fort Worth.
1: In the preview podcast, we mentioned Kansas State as being that kid in school that like maybe didn't win a lot of fights, but he was down to have them, you know, and yeah. TCU looked like a a team that did not, they didn't want to be in a fight. You know, they, they were not, they were not in for that on Saturday and they just got beat up. Yeah. They just got embarrassed. And, you know, TCU teams under Gary, under Gary Patterson, her are historically tough. Mm -hmm. They may not be the most talented, but they are, they are historically tough and they're just not right now. That offensive line gave up anything, right. You know, Kent state had a guy with six sacks yesterday yeah. like one individual person was six sec, and so you just they can't block anybody we've talked about the defensive struggles and how bad they are um their star players you know zach evans didn't play yesterday quentin johnson didn't have a big game or anything like that max duggan you know leaves you know halfway through the game or whatever and so yeah it just it feels very hard to find any type of optimism over TCU. And, you know, that performance makes it even harder. I mean, it was a lackluster, probably the bottom, right? Like this Mm -hmm. is what bottom feels like in Fort Worth. And there's a lot of comfortable conversations that are going to have to happen in that program because this isn't it, right? This, this can't be what TCU is, Uh, you know, Texas tech's about to hire a new coach and kind of get a new jolt of energy that happens with that. Where is TCU going to be in the pecking order of the new Big 12? All of those things are out there. The recruiting's dropping, the on-field play is dropping, um, the support around the program is dropping, and they got Baylor next. Yep. You know, so it, it, it's hard to imagine this team gets to six wins, they're going to miss a bowl game, and then what is what is the future for Gary Patterson and for TCU? What is the sign that says next year is going to be better? Like we were talking about Texas earlier. And we can point to Bijan Robinson and Xavier Worthy, and they're going to hit the transfer portal, and you know all that kind of stuff. For TCU, what, what are, what, what are you hanging your hat on? A healthy Zach Evans? You know, I, I don't, I don't really know. And so, um, there's a lot of questions in TCU, and yeah, yesterday's performance was about as uninspired as I've seen TCU play under Gary Patterson maybe ever. Like that was just, that was just a game because they've been beat before. I've seen them get beat before, right. but I don't think I've ever seen them just not show up. Mm -hmm. And and that was a team that just simply just didn't show up.
0: Yeah. I know um, Chandler Moore's looked okay, but I mean, they didn't really make many, uh, uh, it wasn't really much courageous play calling when it came to the passing passing game. Uh, I believe they had a ne- they had a negative 17 EPA when it came to passing plays. Like they just weren't looking for deep shots. They weren't really making taking many risks. Um, and I get it, right. You're playing, you're playing, you threw Chandler Moore's out there. You don't you, he's a guy for the future. Obviously you don't want to really ruin him, but you know, 10 of 13, 11, 111 yards. Again, there wasn't really much going on with those play calls. Um, Kendra Miller went over hundred yards on the ground Cool. Um, again, we, we knew their running backs were talented, but you, I mean, like you mentioned, K-State was a team that will absolutely bloody you and punch you in the nose. And you'll, the problem is you need to punch them back and they, you know, they'll keep coming at you, but they can take, you know, K-State's a team that will let you punch them. And they just, I mean, it was, I believe it was 31 to five, basically. It's basically the final score. TCU scored with like 17 seconds left or something like that. Like it was, it was a beatdown. And yeah, just a, just, I don't know. You, you wouldn't have thought this is a team that knew it was that bowl. If they win this game, there's still a possibility of going bowling, right? You wouldn't have thought that uh, uh, with the way you watch this game. So yeah tough conversations coming in uh fort worth probably at the end of this year uh moving on in the power Bowl, we mentioned texas lost to baylor uh they were at number seven number six utep man 28 25 losing to fau oh man they had a chance to win i believe they got the ball with like uh, 30 seconds left in their own in their own territory uh Gavin hardison mishandles a second down snap has to spike it on third down play just goes awry on fourth down um unfortunately they are they now drop to what was it oh and 28 in eastern something I, let me see adrian brought Oh right 26 here.
1: and one
0: oh 26 and one now uh, in eastern time zone games just an insane stat um they have, of course, unfortunately like the, you know they look a little flat for a lot of this game they score 15 points in the fourth quarter um able to come back in it we mentioned i mean you kind of saw the bad with Gavin, Hardison in this game, how he is just a boomer bust quarterback. Um, you know, he finishes 12 of 25, 150, a touchdown and a pick. I mentioned the the mishandled snap and kind of how the, the that final drive went. FAU plays fine. They didn't play great. Uh, I think UTEP's defense had a lot to do with that. Nikosi Perry uh, finishes 10 of 18, 84 yards, 84 yards passing. Um, they ran, they run, Eh, I don't know. They, neither team's played great offensively. Um, I think it has to do with partially TCU, uh, UTEP's defense and then the lack of execution on offense from them. I still think this is a – I, I don't – this performance to me still has the hype pretty high for next week. Um, I was worried that it could have been one of those, like, oh, man, they're playing FAU, we'll see what happens, and kind of a completely deflating performance. It wasn't that – a disappointing loss for sure, Um But I think it was pretty – I don't know. I was pretty okay with it.
1: How far has UTEP gone to where a three-point loss on the road against FAU feels like a disappointment and one that they let get away? Sure. I I think that is a positive for this UTEP program, that they've reached a point where moral victories don't exist this year. That's a a good thing. The the bat breaker was the 39-yard touchdown pass with two seconds left in the second quarter. You know, UTEP's up 10-7 going to go into halftime with all the momentum and a lead and instead FAU gets that long touchdown on a broken coverage and scores and now they're up at halftime and 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 kind of you know then score again in the third quarter to increase that lead now UTEP is playing from behind and that that probably isn't the recipe for UTEP they don't want to be playing from behind they'd rather be you know kind of right there and not have to put that many attempts on Gavin uh, Hardison's arm but um, again yeah I, I thought it was impressive that they didn't quit you know I think UTEP programs in the past. You know, they find themselves down, you know, that many points going into the fourth quarter. They probably lose by 20-plus. Instead, they, they rally back. And if they had a couple more minutes, I feel like they probably win that football game. They were playing pretty well towards the end. I don't think it should deflate them too much. I mean, that's, that's a tough conference away game all the way in Florida. Like we talked about, you know, it's moving three different time zones from Mountain to Central to Eastern. That's a long trip. Everything's still to play for for them. If they can come home and upset UTSA, Nobody cares about this FAU loss, right? Like sure. they can get it all back this week. I'd imagine that's the, the conversation with Dimmel and his guys. And, and for them, it's it's all about that defense. That defense is really good when it's clicking. It kind of went away there at the end of the second quarter and the third quarter. If They can kind of get that back for next week. It should still be a very exciting game with a, a really fun, you know, atmosphere in the Sun Bowl. And they can re, re, reju- rejuvenate that momentum and those good feelings with the win this week.
0: <clears throat> sorry i want to correct a box i was reading i guess the box call i was looking at was wrong uh gavin Hardison, 23 of 46 327 two touchdowns two picks Nikosi Perry, 13 of 26 149 one touchdown no picks but again you you know the big playability gavin Hardison has you know the mistakes he can also make um he'll miss some easy throws he'll hit some insane deep shots he has you know i think the most underrated receiving core and probably in the country um and so like he's able to get those guys the ball um But again, it's kind of a doer. it's kind of a give or take with with him a lot of the times they were able to run the ball better than they have. Um, Still wasn't great. It was about 30 carries total for just over 100 yards. But running, they do want to run the ball a lot. And they've struggled with that partially because of injuries this year. And so I think they were able to kind of get some kind of traction going in that part of the game, which isn't a bad thing. Um, Heading into next week, especially when you know that UTSA is not going to be they're They're not going to be one of the teams that lets Gavin Hardison hit those deep shots. And so you kind of need something down to down uh, again in their front seven is going to be pretty expecting the run game, but you kind of wanted something trending in the positive direction when it comes to the running game heading into next week. And I think this was one of their better running performances of the year. So uh, moving on in the power pool. actually I think that's pretty much done because we got Baylor mentioned them and almost off. They have a great, uh, interesting game against Auburn next week. Uh, they post Auburn and they travel to Ole Miss. So that's going to be an interesting end to their season. Then we got SMU mentioned them as well. And then UTSA, which of course they were off as well. They go to UTEP for a game that game day should be going to because, uh, actually just kidding Uh, they're going to cincinnati they just announced it uh so that's unfortunate but uh that would have been cool still gonna be on espn 2 i'm looking forward to that game very much uh who since i don't even know cincinnati's playing i don't know why they're going to that
1: conference usa after dark in week 10 that'll be that'll be fun
0: yeah that'll be be a lot of fun seriously who's Cincy playing i don't know why they're going to cincinnati (laughs) i mean i know that they're number two so like it's a big moment for them uh they got Tulsa coming. Come on, that's lame. Yeah, I
1: mean they were they were gonna be. They may not admit this out loud, but I I can source this one. They they were gonna be in El Paso had UTEP at UTEP won that game because there's not much next week. The other only other option for them was to knock off Cincinnati off the list just to say that they did it because they're having sure. this big year. And then the other one that they were thinking about was the Auburn AM and game, but they didn't want to go to AM again. They're always yeah. in the SEC country, so. It was, it was there. It was there for UTSA, UTEP, and UTEP just kind of ran out of time there, a little bit there at the end. But I'm still excited. I mean, that's going to be, that's going to be a really good game. One of the best, better G5 games that I can think of in the state.
0: Oh, hundred percent. I think that that game for me is going to be a lot of similar to the SME Houston game to where you're kind of, obviously there's one team that's clearly proven itself on the field. And then there's another team that's proven itself on the field, but you're still kind of wondering what they are. Right. And that's, that's UTEP that was Houston heading into this game this weekend. Um, and yeah, I think it's going to be one of those kind of prove it, show me opportunities for, for UTEP national audience. Um, I expect the Sun Bowl to be really great. Cause we mentioned how this game, if, if the FAU game went the wrong way, right, there goes all the steam, there goes all the hype, there goes all the momentum behind UTEP. Um, and they lost, but again, it was it was a game where they were very much in it. They uh, they had a shot to win late, and it just didn't go their way. Um, this still didn't kill the momentum. I think this is going to be great, to great fan bases. UTSA is going to travel very well. Um, I can't wait to talk about this game on Wednesday, but uh, yeah, that'll do it for the power Poll. UTSA still on top, no use. And uh, uh, they're not going to move, you know, they didn't play a game this weekend. So there's no reason to consider moving them. Uh, we probably will have a new bottom team. Uh, look at that. The I-35 rivalry just uh, taken over <laughs> one on top, one on bottom. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Oh man, I'm ready for the season to be done. Uh, as far as Texas State's concerns, so, oh man, uh, Mike, you're going to be at El Paso this weekend, right?
1: I am. I will be uh, UTEP, UTSA. I got some cool behind the scenes stuff lined up, and so uh, should be should be a fun. I'm going out there Thursday, so I'm also going to talk to Tavares Jones, the running back out there. Okay. Probably the best, probably the best prospect out of El Paso since Aaron Jones. Um, and then hanging out at, at a UTEP all day Friday with UTSA on Saturday. So should be uh should be a good time.
0: All right, man. Cool. Well, we'll talk to you guys Wednesday. That was this weekend, uh, wild games this weekend and wild games coming up. Well, like I said, we'll talk to you guys Wednesday, run through it all, have a 12 hour preview of UTSA and UTEP. Cause <laughs> yeah, this is, this is extremely, especially for me and Mike, this is extremely our lane, this group right. of five conference USA. Oh my God. I'm ready. I'm so yeah,
1: ready. You can, Keep keep Texas Texas A and M over there. I don't, over there, I, I, every everybody talks about them. I, right. Yeah. Give me UTEP UTSA uh, all day. That's going to be a good one. Um. I we we're already in week ten. I feel like I just start. I just took the job two days ago, Jeez. and we're already we're already in week ten. It's amazing how football season takes four years to get here. And then two weeks to be done with. It's I know just, we've uh, already
0: fired a, we've already fired a coach. We we're probably about to. Someone's probably going to happen to another coach. It's just
1: like we're, we're trying to fire four more on the show. So <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's getting going time in, in football season. November is the best, uh, in my opinion. November is the best sports month in the on the calendar. I know March yep. can be up there for a lot of people. I'm not much into March Madness, so that's not my cup of tea. But we got. World Series going on, college football going on, NFL going on, basketball's getting going. So mm-hmm. uh, November is where it's at. Thanksgiving's the best holiday in the world. So and, uh, yeah, it's, know, it's going.
0: You, yeah, you know what the best part about this year too is we have, and and this is the quote unquote best part. You know, you, people well, we obviously want these teams to be a lot better and things like that, but we don't have to pay a lick of attention to the playoff. <laughs> I love that. I love the fact that we don't have to work. Oh, is AM gonna get in? Is they gonna move up? I gotta watch this stupid Tuesday show to figure out what the fifth team is gonna be. I don't I'll watch it obviously because I care about college football, but I don't we don't have to pay attention to it and we don't have to talk about it on the show. I'm so excited because that sucked last year. Oh look, AM's still fifth. Cool, <laughs> you know, like
1: I think and I think the cool part about being a, a G5 alum right and like fan of it you 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 can you get past this idea that the only thing that matters is being the national championship and playing in college that's not what college football is like college football has never been about that was never about that the bcs changed it a little bit but like that's that's not that's not the goal there's so this sport is so much better when you just forget about the rankings and the, the playoffs and all that kind of stuff and just watch the weekend week out because dra- there's enough drama week in and week out to like fill you up so you don't mm-hmm. you don't need to worry about that kind of stuff so yeah I'm, I'm with you it's nice to not have to worry about that kind of jazz and you just like get to talk about the football and the on-field products and stuff like that Yep.
0: All right, buddy. I will let you get out of here. Head back up to your new home in DFW from Houston. Uh, we'll talk to you. On, you talk I'm not using
1: that extra hour drive. Like, it's, you know, for me, you have three hours and you wouldn't think the difference between three hours and four hours is much more than an hour, but it feels a lot more than just an hour it hits you it
0: hits you when you look down at that uh that google maps you're like jesus like you're just like not still not there yet so i'm
1: in only an innis what the
0: hell yeah all right right, man i'll
1: talk to you wednesday
0: definitely all righty when we will all talk to you guys wednesday as well